Hey y'all, welcome to 4 Millennial Managers. I'm your host, Lusar C. Today, I'm going to answer a question that many folks encounter and probably don't get good answers to. And that question is, what should I do when the first woman joins my team? Or the first person of color joins my team? Or the first blind person, or Muslim, or non-US citizen, whatever it is. Now, on the one hand, this seems like a funny question to ask. All new hires deserve the same care and support as all other new hires. So what's the big deal? Just treat people the same. And there is a way that this question is kind of funny. Let me rephrase it in a negative way. Hey, someone different joined my team. What do I do? This isn't a constructive way to ask the question. People aren't just different. That's not an identity. A person might be different than the team or different than an established norm, but really that question is about, hey, what do I do when I have certain experiences and comforts and knowledge about a narrow norm What do I do when someone outside of that norm is challenging those experiences or that comfort? That's the other hand. The other hand is that having knowledge and experience and being comfortable working with folks from different backgrounds, that can make a huge difference to your management abilities. So the goal and intent is totally spot on. Yes, we want to provide the same support to everyone on the team. But in order to do that, we need to be equally comfortable interacting with every person on the team and equally knowledgeable about how to support them. So it's a good question to ask, and we're going to dig into it. I'm going to give you three tips for how to be comfortable managing a diverse team. Tip number one, create an inclusive culture. The opposite of this, what you're trying to avoid is creating a culture that overfits who you happen to have on the team at the time. Here's an example from a team I worked with many, many years ago. I was managing a different team, and one of the teams we worked with was awesome. They were so friendly and productive and open and just such a great team in so many ways. I really respected their manager and enjoyed working with him as well. So when this team had a job opening, I was definitely sharing that with my own network. Like, here's this awesome opportunity to work with this great team. But when I read the job description, I was surprised to see that many of the things I valued about this team weren't listed. In fact, 80% of the bullet points about how this team operates were about how the team wrote code. We like the command line. We don't like graphical user interfaces. We like green on black. It was prescriptive about how to write code. And honestly, I didn't even realize that. Sure, the command line is a useful skill, and that might be part of the requirements for working on their systems. But, you know, why should everyone have to, you know, use a certain programming editor in this situation? It really wasn't a problem. It was just that everyone on that team happened to work a certain way, and somehow that had made it into the job description. The moral of this story is that overfitting your culture can actually prevent you from even recruiting and hiring diversity. When we look at our hiring processes, we're often trying to minimize the false positives as well as the false negatives. Now, the false positives are often very visible. These are the candidates that come to a six-hour on-site that involves your entire engineering team and all these people, and then you all realize, wow, this person was really underqualified and we should have caught this at the phone screen instead of involving everyone's time at this point. They're very visible, and so we do a lot to prevent that from happening. But the false negatives are just as costly because the false negatives are people who aren't 
making it through your pipeline, but they really should. They'd be these amazing, great hires and they're missed, these missed opportunities. So having an overfit culture and letting that seep into your materials and decisions and other parts of your hiring process can be really costly because it's increasing your false negatives. It's increasing all of the missed opportunities. Now, an overfit culture can also affect career development. So again, at another job many, many years ago, I was visiting a different office and chatting with the folks there and meeting them. And of course, when we know people in common, that's always fun. And someone was like, oh, I know this person at your office. Like, she's such a great girl. And I was like, hmm, this is not how I would think about this person in this diminutive way. What if this person were about to become this other person's manager or about to become a leader or get promoted? Is a girl seen as a leader? Started to awaken this idea in my head that language matters, that language reflects how we see other people and how we see what they're capable of and what kind of relationship we're willing to have with that person. I have one more example in this bucket of creating an inclusive culture. I was once working somewhere, also many, many years ago, and someone was giving a technical presentation to the wider organization. They were actually doing this presentation remotely. It was going out to multiple offices, and I was watching this presentation, and it was super technical. It was about these architectural changes, but at one point, there was a transition slide. They wanted to say, hey, the next pieces of information, they're for internal use only. They're for your eyes only. And to go with that phrase, they showed the poster from the movie with the same title. There's a James Bond movie called For Your Eyes Only. So that's a fun transition, but let me describe what that poster looks like. In the foreground, you see the back of a woman's legs. She's wearing high heels, she's wearing underwear, nothing else. So first of all, it's just these sexualized parts of a woman, not even the whole woman. And then in the background, you have a few men holding weapons pointing at this woman. So that makes for a really interesting and intriguing adventure movie poster. But it's a bit of an odd combination for the workplace. It's not really even saying for your eyes only in particular. It's not really sending any kind of message that the presenter was trying to send. The point being, it was this inappropriate picture. And I sent a note privately to the presenter afterwards just saying, hey, you know, this picture just was sort of concerning to me and really had nothing to do with your presentation. So, you know, next time you may want to just remove it. And they were like, oh, you're right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This was a presentation I only gave my team. It was only made for my team. There's no women on my team. I'm so sorry to have offended you. When I made it go to everyone, you know, I should have removed it. And I thought that answer was like, what? The problem isn't that you've offended me. The problem isn't that this image was fine. But now that I know about it, that's the problem. The problem is that this image, this communication, this message is not okay. It's got some crappy associations that are tied up with a ton of other associations that we've learned from pop culture. Why do that? Why encourage those associations? My concern isn't that this person or their teammates are full-blown misogynists and discriminate against women right and left. But by encouraging these associations and these values, I have to wonder what this person is seeing or hearing when they collaborate with women. Are they taking women seriously? Does their opinion of women change based on what women are wearing? When they are interviewing a woman, are they really able to evaluate their technical capabilities? Can they see this person as this competent and able contributor? Or are they seeing other things? You know, are they subtly biased? You don't want those things. As the manager, it's up to you to ensure that you have a good culture. You want to have a culture that is effective for your team and, and simple for your team and flexible for changes 
And the way to be flexible is to make sure that you never devalue other people. That's unnecessary, and that's going to prevent you from making these inclusive hires and promotions and inclusive collaborations and not missing opportunities that present themselves. Let's move on to tip number two, enlarging your network. The goal of this tip is that if you want to have a range of skills, if you want to be able to communicate effectively with lots of different people, you have to practice communicating with lots of different people. Let me give you some examples for what I'm talking about when I say communication. Communication includes what you say, how you say it, when you say it, what your body is doing as you say it. Some people like to ask questions when they're hearing new information. Other folks, they want to hear all the information and get everything out on the table before they respond to it. Some folks, they like to have their ideas validated as they go. Other people, they don't need to hear that. And similarly, some people will be more likely to express agreement and to validate ideas, you know, even without maybe thinking about it. Maybe they'll think about it more deeply and then come back with some feedback. And of course, you can see if you have two folks talking to each other and they each prefer or do the opposite thing, that might be an uncomfortable conversation. Energy level is another big part of communication, how quickly someone talks, the volume that someone speaks at, whether they're comfortable with silences or not. Someone's comfort with silence reminds me of this thing called pressure to speak. Some people have a high pressure to speak. When they have an idea, they want to tell it to you right away and not let it sit in their head. Or when there's a silence, they want to jump into that silence and say something. Other folks have a low pressure to speak. They may need silence as an invitation in order to speak. And of course, I don't believe people are static. I don't believe any one person fits into one side or the other necessarily. What's more interesting is to look at when do you do one thing versus the other? What triggers different scenarios? When is each scenario useful? As the manager, it's useful to be comfortable in all of these scenarios and to be able to communicate effectively with someone who has all of these different styles. You can't ask your reports to meet you where you are, not if where you are is a very narrow place. In order to have effective one-on-ones and effective interviews and performance discussions with lots of different folks, you want to be able to create the space that that other person will be comfortable in. You want that other person to feel comfortable so they can share their ideas and give feedback and ask questions. For all of this, I said, hey, practice, practice is key. Well, how can you do that? One of the easiest ways to do this is to build relationships at work with folks who are different than you. Probably this will be across team, across role, but look for women and people of color in your workplace. Look for parents if you don't have kids. Look for extroverts if you're an introvert. Go meet people who are different than yourself and talk with them. Now, I want to give one small but important tip about building these relationships, and that is to be extra careful that you're being respectful, that you're not going up to someone and saying, hey, you're black, what's that like? Uh, You don't want to tokenize folks. You don't want to burden them with your own ignorance or questions. They have their own lives. They're already doing amazing things. They don't need you to be wasting their time like that. So build these relationships as you would any other where you get to know someone and you listen and you listen to the soft nose. You know, you just go about it in, I don't know, a normal way. You know, you're still trying to get to know a real human being, a specific human being. Now, you don't have to stop with your office. Go to meetups, go to conferences, go to events that target diverse audiences or particular audiences. But also when you're just at an event or a conference, you can go out of your way to be open to meeting and talking with different people. It's easy sometimes to be a little uncomfortable and let that steer us away from actual opportunities to grow and learn. So take those opportunities. And finally, this last point may be a little controversial, but I even encourage you to make friends 
who are not like you, to really look at your personal life. Now, of course, your personal life doesn't need to have anything to do with your professional life. But on the other hand, referral networks are a big deal. If everyone in your referral network is a white guy, you don't bring a lot to the table in terms of helping your company become more diverse. Let me give you one more tip. For Millennial Managers is a podcast. I love podcasts. There's a great podcast out there for learning how to build better relationships with women, and that is called Friendshipping by Jen and Trin. It's an awesome podcast. Yes, a managerial relationship or a professional relationship is not a friendship, but I think listening to Friendshipping can give you some interesting things to think about that you might be able to apply in your professional life, and that could also help you build your network with women you know, in other ways when you're at conferences, when you're at events, and even in your personal life. This leads us into tip number three, educate yourself. I'm actually going to list a bunch of things that you'll want to learn. I'm not going to explain all of them in depth, so some of them will make sense, some of them won't. That's okay. One, learn some history. Learn about racial segregation, learn about gender segregation, learn about Jim Crow laws. I mean, really learn about what has happened in the U.S. and what has led us to where we are and how that still impacts the kinds of interactions and systems that we have in place. So learn this history. And that could be, you know, reading history books. It could be checking out history podcasts, however you like to learn this sort of thing. I would say specifically look for feminist or anti-colonial points of view. This brings me to the next point, which is to seek media that is by and for women and people of color. Listen to the Code Switch podcast. Listen to Latino USA on NPR. Listen to For Colored Nerds by Brittany Luce and Eric Redding. Wherever you're getting information, try to increase the number of people outside of the norm that are generating this information. You have your history, you have your current cultural context, and here's where I'm going to have a list. Okay, how women are policed in terms of appearance, in terms of being docile and agreeable, in terms of not interrupting or not taking charge or not taking credit. You want to learn about that so that then you can see when your own performance reviews, are you dinging women for being assertive, even as you reward similar risk-taking in men? Or when you're hiring someone, are you interpreting someone's work history differently based on whether they're white or black? Another thing you want to learn about is free emotional labor. And you want to see, you know, are you dinging women for being, quote, antisocial, even as you ignore or even reward that sort of behavior in men? Don't fall into the trap of seeing interpersonal skills and programming skills as mutually exclusive. If someone is particularly social, that doesn't mean that they won't be a good programmer. Ask everyone on your team to be sufficiently social and collaborative in ways that are important, just as you ask everyone to be at a certain technical bar. Another thing you want to learn about is feminism. If you don't consider yourself a feminist, I find that a little shocking, and I encourage you to look into it further to really understand what it is and to really dissect what might be holding you back from having that label. As a society, we've created this narrative that economically values masculinity, these so-called masculine traits of confidence and logic and technical and independence, and we've economically devalued femininity, these you know, so-called feminine traits of being supportive and being open and collaborative, which of course any engineering manager knows that, heck, we need our engineers to be both. We just need all the skills because we're a very collaborative workplace doing technical things as well, programming things. Uh, you know, We need folks who can do both of these things. And quite frankly, none of these things are the realm of biological maleness or femaleness. That's a false myth. 
So anyway, look into feminism and look into how society has created this false separation of male and female and this false sense of what is valuable and what is not valuable. Another thing to look at is how people of color are policed in terms of appearance and language and how to be docile and agreeable and not be, quote, angry. Look into that again so that you can make sure that you're not falling into the trap of having these biases or using language that is unintentionally extra harmful. And you want to make sure you're holding everyone to the same standards. And the best way to do that is just to understand the false standards that have been placed on different people. Okay, we're nearly through this list. There's two more items. One, look into colonialism and cultural appropriation. We've created this narrative in our society that subjugates and devalues what we consider non-white versus what we consider white. We've created this, you know, just like how we've separated male and female, good and bad, we've done the same thing with white and black. It's important to understand that and to understand cultural appropriation because that could be extremely offensive to people of color. And you definitely don't want to be creating these, you know, these aggressive workplaces, these uncomfortable workplaces, because as a manager, it's very difficult to get feedback. People don't want to you know, hurt our feelings or bring up conflict with their own manager because we have real authority. So combine that with the fact that if you are in the norm, you're already, society already places you in this position of we care about your feelings versus someone else's feelings. So it's very difficult to get feedback unless you're going out there and learning about what is constructive and what is harmful. And lastly, learn about gaslighting, learn about trivializing legitimate concerns, especially from women and people of color. This is a thing that happens to preserve the norm and it's really harmful. And just as I said in the point above about how getting feedback can be really difficult when you're either in the norm or when you're certainly in a managerial position, that's even more so the case that you want to make sure that you are valuing all the feedback and concerns that you get appropriately. Of course, sometimes folks have concerns and we all know as managers, not all concerns are really that great. Sometimes someone has a concern and you realize, wow, I just need to work with this one person to open up their own flexibility or their own understanding of the business and the compromises they have to make. Or sometimes someone has a concern and you go and get all the different points of view and you realize what the situation is, but make sure that you're not inadvertently taking the concerns of, say, white men above the concerns of someone outside of the norm, that you're not gaslighting or trivializing what are actually legitimate concerns because society has taught us what to consider as legitimate and what isn't legitimate. And let's question that because sometimes that's not always true. So learning all these things, they'll help you to be a more supportive manager to everyone on your team, especially folks that are different from the norm and that in the past you might have felt uncomfortable about interacting with or you just are like, yeah, I don't know. What do I need to think about? Use this list. Now you know what to think about. And you can learn about these things through books, through podcasts, through news feeds, however you like to get information. Cool. I think I've answered this question. We started off saying, hey, there might be someone, quote, different joining my team, but really this is about being uncomfortable and experienced working with folks who are different than ourselves. What do we need to do to actually be able to support everyone on our team? Well, I think there's three things. The first is to prepare for diversity by intentionally creating an inclusive culture that allows you to value differences and thereby have a different team, thereby recruit folks who are different, make hiring decisions, make promotion decisions, collaborate with folks who are different. You need to have an intentional culture that isn't inadvertently devaluing people who use graphical editors or girls as opposed to women, that sort of thing. You know, if you have images on the workplace walls, make them strong and encouraging positive images of women as scientists and capable beings don't have playboy calendar up on the wall that's just sending a weird message right 
Tip number two, enlarge your network. The best way to become comfortable working with folks who are different is to interact with and work with folks who are different. And you can do this at work. You can go to events and conferences. You can even do this in your personal life and push yourself to have a network that is diverse and interesting for your own development. And of course, also as a referral network for work. And finally, educate yourself. Make sure that you are learning about history and the cultural context of what's happening in this world. And you're learning from women and from people of color and that you're not just taking your news from a narrow point of view. There's some great podcasts that you can listen to to learn more about these things. And I've included links in the description of this podcast, as well as a short list of things that you might want to investigate further. I hope that helps. Write in and let me know if it does. Write in and let me know if it doesn't or if I missed something. I would love to hear from you. I would love to answer your questions. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at StayCalmComic. You can write in to me anonymously at ask.fm slash staycomcomic and go ahead and check out my web comics and my other podcasts at staycomcomic.com. I'll be back next Monday with another podcast. Until then, have a great week and stay calm.